on that radio and back here. The cops ain't likely to catch up with us, not tonight. So we can all be quiet and peaceable and listen to the music. This episode of Auto Dealer Live is brought to you by True Car. No, you know, Arnold, man, I'm not throwing anything at Lou. I turned on a, I turned over a new leaf, man. I'm, I'm, hey, listen, I'm as cool as the other side of the pillow. I didn't even get anxiety. I didn't even care. Yeah. You know what? Because it's it, it was it wasn't Lou's fault. It was the internet. It was the internet. I blame Al Gore. <laughs> Global warming. It's Red Nose Day, baby, and it's Auto Dealer Live Thursday. Make sure, Christmas what is it, Kim, edition. it's child poverty, right? It's a Red Nose Day 2017 hashtag. Include that if you're on Twitter with uh, hashtag Auto Dealer Live, and we are. It's not made for people with giant schnozzes as myself. Uh, it barely fits on the on the very end of mine. How come, how come Barely fits is, on the tip. I didn't want to say that. Is, uh, how come yours is red, Tommy, and not brown? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I might ask you the same question. Nah. I don't know. Hey, guys, we obviously apologize about the late start. And if you're uh, with us now, we had a little technical difficulty. Um, you know, it is suspicious, Arnold. I do I do wonder because even though it was the Internet, uh, you know, Lou, it happened to just do that right at 3.30. You know, so it's very ironic that Bill Gates was sitting around. I was like, you know, I'm going to get all to do a live today. I'm just going to unplug. I'm going to unplug the I'm going to plug the Internet or whoever. You know. Right. You know what I'm saying? Okay. I'm taking this off. Yeah, i got to take the nose off. All right, man. It's Auto Dealer Live Day, and we've got a great show today. We've got some breaking news, man. That's what the show is about today. And we're going to shorten our monologue today because we were 10 minutes late. We're we're only going to talk for another 60 seconds or so, and then we're going to bring our panel on. And the panel today is our breaking news panel. Uh, We've got some wonderful people today. We've got the vice president at Equifax Automotive. We've got Larry Papalardo. On today, Vice President Equifax on the show. We got Rebecca Chernick, host of FNI Today, automotive consultant at Chernick uh, Consulting. We have Tony D, director of FNI Training. Um, he is uh, this this guy's the man, man. He's 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 the man. Stan Tony D is with the Academy. <laughs> we always jack that one up, but Tony D is with the Academy, and he is the uh, FNI extraordinaire. Then we have Matt Lasco, Vice President of Lasco Auto Group, on it. So we've got some great, great people on, and we had a great topic today, Cribs. Are you ready for the breaking news, baby? I'm ready for the breaking news. How about I'm you, ready. T? I, I'm ready, too. <laughs> All this right, man, so frozen. you guys have been waiting. We made you wait long enough, so you're going to have to wait 45 more seconds. We'll be back after this commercial. We'll bring our panel on live, and the rest of the show is on like Donkey Kong. Mm-hmm. Hi, I'm Chip Perry. The pledge was and is an action plan designed to address head-on the concerns that many of you told me about right after I took this job. Thus far, our dealer pledge has been aimed at fixing the major pain points that you told us about related to our product, our customer service, and our consumer advertising. I'd like to reiterate that our dealer pledge is our ongoing commitment to you, our dealer customers, and we will continue to work hard to improve our service to you.
All right, we're back. We're going to jump right into our breaking news. A news alert. We've got the vice president of Lasco Auto Group, Matt Lasco, director at the Academy. This is the F&I guru, Tony D. We have the host of F&I Today, automotive consultant at Chernick Consulting, uh, Mrs. Rebecca Chernick. And we have the vice president, VP of Equifax Automotive, Larry Papalardo. And, uh, guys, thank you so much for joining us for our breaking news panel. Hope you guys are having a great day. Thanks for bearing with us. And we're going to jump right into the questions, man. We're going to get into this news, D.C. Yeah, I want to thank everyone for coming on, and we're going to just jump right into it since we had a delay. Um, you know, it's no secret, most of us, well, all of the panelists and, and probably <coughs> most of our view, viewing audience was a part of this business going back, Dave, 8, 9, 10, 11 years ago, 07, 08, 09, when we, you know, cre- kind of hit that bubble mm-hmm. in the subprime market. You know, the, the housing crash, the cars crash, there were tumbleweeds rolling through the uh, – uh, showroom because of what happened and the question is are we headed back there now you know and we uh, the reason we did this breaking news because we're, we're basing it on an article that just came out uh, from Zero Hedge and it, it basically exposed the fact that Santander the largest subprime financer in the marketplace uh, just discovered that 92 percent mm, that's of, a lot 92 percent of their loans went unverified when it came to income and the question is you know lots of financial experts out there are saying that we're heading back to that place where we're going to have that bubble that breakdown um, things are going <coughs> to kind of you know come out so i want to go to our panelists let's go to rebecca chernick and um Rebecca, what, what what do you think? I mean, are we are we headed back to the same place? Are we in a dangerous area now that you know the uh, lending has loosened up so much again? Well, you know, I like to say what comes up must come down, and it always just seems that this is what what it's been like um, over the years, especially the years that I've been in F and I. I mean, sometimes the the banks tighten up, and then they loosen up, they tighten up, and loosen up. So we've always seen this trend. And, again, with regard to what Moody in the article mentioned as far as Santander is concerned as far as income verification, one thing I can say is now we're back on track as far as many banks who are tightening up as far as their um, their um, practices go for approving loans, and that means income verification, proof of residence, and everything else for that much matter. So dealers really need to also be paying attention and making sure that their deals are in structure and that they're validating and verifying this information. Otherwise, they're going to they're going to see that they're going to have plenty of CIT issues and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I do see again the trend is definitely tightening up, and that's just not what just Santander, but many of the banks uh, nationwide. Yeah, let me let me go to Matt Lasco real quick. As a dealer and owner, when it comes to subprime loans and providing those stipulations to your lenders, uh, where does your responsibility really end? If you get the you know the printout, the pay stub, is that all that you need to turn in with that deal, or is there you know further responsibility on the dealer part? Well, I think there's a couple of things here, and, and I'll touch on this real quick because I think it's an important fact. Just so everybody's clear here, whether a bank acts for proof of income or not, if someone within a car deal inflates income, whether they're allowing a customer to do so or they're letting their staff do so, you're still creating bank fraud. So just because Santander doesn't want to pay stub doesn't mean it's okay to put five grand a month income in for a guy that makes 1400 
And what I'll tell you is, is Santander's smart. They just come back later, audit you, and make you buy back contracts. So the people that win is that desk manager that got his big bonus and the salesperson that got big commission, and the dealer is the one that's buying back and paying for losses for years to come. Uh, my, my issue I have with that particular lender is, is our government is allowing them to get away with putting them into vehicles that they are not able to pay for. And one of the biggest things with compliance is putting people into a loan they can afford. So until the government forces them not to be allowed to do no payment or no income loans, we're going to have opportunity for a bubble. The big bubble that's coming, they did all these loans and they're willing to write all these loans, but that was when a used car market was holding the losses. Now the losses are going to not just go up by a little bit, they're going to increase by 30 and 40%. So the lenders are going to come back and they're going to beat up their dealers and they're going to say options weren't on cars. They're going to ask for checks. They're going to try to make them buy back contracts. I think the bubble is really going to land on the dealer, and the employees are all going to scatter and run off to the next next place. Or some of them are going to get federal charges against them because it's illegal to do fraudulent loans. Mm, that's good. I, let's go to Larry. Larry, I know that you 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 were on the lending side, you know, uh, as well in in your in your past. I know you just did, if I'm not mistaken, Larry, or someone from your organization did an interview with Bloomberg on this subject. So I want you to kind of weigh in on this, if you would. You're with, uh, you're a vice president of Equifax Automotive now. I mean, we're we, listening to what Matt as a dealer has said, and then of course Rebecca, you know, as a, a F and I trainer and consultant. Why don't you weigh in on this, Larry, and kind of just get us started on your opinions, and maybe uh, you know give us some some more to think about yeah it's you know it's definitely changed i mean from from my years of Wells fargo and you know the dealers the relationship that the dealer has with the bank is important you know obviously for getting their contracts funded but it's changed and um you know from an equifax standpoint you know we've got things like work income and employment verifications now that we're seeing a lot of dealers and lenders both want more than ever for just everything that was just laid out it's important uh, I do think the Bloomberg, I was on the Bloomberg interview, and I think, you know, one of the things that we did talk about on there was losses were very, very low. So although they've gone up, they've been almost artificially low. And I and, and I think one of the challenges or one of the things I think that still makes sense in this industry is at the end of the day, dealers want to sell cars, but more importantly, they want to get them financed. So, you know, doing it the right way with all of the regulatory changes and all those things is critical today. So, yeah, there's no question losses are up. I think um, on the back end with some of the used cars, with the amount of leasing that's there now, and, I, you know, I look back, three and four years ago when leasing was just sort of coming back. And even from a repossession standpoint, you were getting more for the cars at the auction because there was less cars to fight over. <clears throat> now, they're, you know, the leases are starting to go through the auctions. So the dynamic has changed a lot. There's no question about it. And the banks have changed with it. There's, there's, you know, you see that across the board, as we just alluded to. Uh, I don't think that's going to change. I think the, the, the regulatory look at things is much different than, you know, two and three years ago, we were really, four years ago, more credit risk and, and, and worried about good loans. And, yes, that's still obviously a factor, but, you know, compliance and regulatory and also reputation risk are a big, big thing now. And, they, and I think that's where the whole industry has probably moved to, to that a little bit more than prior years. Matt, let me ask you this, you know, listening to what Larry said, too. I mean, you know, you and I talked a few months ago where a lot of these uh, major lenders are buying a lot deeper now. I mean, and, and so do you see kind of maybe the, a day coming where some of these um, specialty lenders, you know, might not be a necessity, and then some of the lenders that are doing it right are stepping in and saying, look, this is really creating a void 
for you know these 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 guys that are doing it right you know to buy deeper maybe you know um and and and, and work with dealers that are going to do it right i mean do, you you and i kind of talked about that if you remember a few months ago and uh i mean do you think that that is creating that possibility for these guys to really slide in and maybe even you know take over a, a large share of the market where you know where, where it was specialty for a long time is that is that a good question matt I'm sorry, David. You broke up right when you were going through there. I, I got a connection issue. Repeat that for me. Yeah, I was going to say when you and I, you and I talked a few few months ago about how some of the, um, you know, the, the the major lenders were buying deeper, and it was really kind of squeezing the subprime lender, you know, uh, to begin with. And and so I mean, does, is something like this creating maybe a void, a spot, I should say, where if these lenders that have a you know these major lenders have the ability to create a more permanent place in the, in the special finance market because they're going to do it right and they're going to work with guys like you that are dealers that are going to do it right i mean is this going to come to a place where possibly some of these these guys that are uh, you know it's going to is is this going to come in and maybe change the game i should say moving forward do you think well i think the biggest change is probably going to be more with the advance in term they're learning the losses are increasing. So there, we're already seeing them not quite loan that extra 10% they might have on a front-end advance, mm-hmm. uh, not quite give the extra 3 or 12 months on a loan. So um, where we're seeing the opportunity evolve is a, a bank like an ally, for example. Uh, they're winning, instead of having a, a, a 25% rate like a Santander, they're coming up with an 18% rate without a bank origination fee, and they're buying that person, well, in the long run, if that's a good collectible person, Ally's going to make a ton of money at 18% compounded interest. So I think it's going to be a balance between the both. The deep, deep, deep subprime banks are going to do business the same way forever because they have to get a giant bank fee and a a giant interest rate because they're going to repo 65% of every one of their loans. That's just their business model. Yeah. So... Uh, it, the, the real ch- challenge coming is is we're going to see book values fall, we're going to see negative equity increase, and we're going to have lenders that don't want to put big loans. So I think there will be a little bit of a slowdown unless you've got clients that have money down on how to get someone out of it. Like the trade cycle is going to slow down in subprime. It's not going to be as simple to get them from a CAC to AmeriCredit, from AmeriCredit to an ally. It's going to take an extra year between all those trade cycles to get out of these negative equity issues. Okay. Yeah. Throwing, a, throwing a question out to you, Tony D., from Bradley Hudson. He's listening. He's on Facebook. He's with the dealer group. Um, I think they have several stores. I know Brad's out of, Bradley's out of Tennessee. And um, he's involved in the subprime prime arena with his stores, travels from the stores. He says this, and I'll, Tony, I'll pose this to you. He said, we've been waiting for t- over two years for it to tighten up. He said, how soon do you think it will really start to tighten up and by how much? He said, I'm seeing people leaving my dealership who are getting bought with mid-500s. Tony D., you want to weigh in on that? Well, you know, you say that the lenders tighten up. Becky hit it spot on. Uh, There's an ebb and a flow with the finance companies, and they'll buy deep, and then they'll go shallow, and they'll buy deep. One of the big issues that nobody is addressing here, and we can go back to NADA two, if not three years ago, they completely talked about the used car bubble that we're about to hit. And and like I believe it was Matt just brought up, is used car values are going to be going down. We have a lot of off-lease things that are coming, hitting right now that are rolling through the auction. It's driving down the used car values. And like Matt or Larry brought up specifically, 
they're going to start paying a little bit closer attention to the LTVs and the advances that they're going to be doing. And this really goes back into each and every um, business manager and dealership and sales managers also need to start paying very close attention to the buying guidelines from each and every one of the finance companies. And if they change something in the middle of the month, we, we can't go with what they did last month or earlier this month. We have to go with what they're doing now. Mm-hmm. Pay attention to PTI limits. Pay attention to the DTI limits if we have finance companies that do this. Pay attention to the structure. We, we got real used to back in the two, uh, uh, from 2000 really to about 2007, we got real used to, you know, throw it against the wall and see what sticks or run it up the flagpole and they'll condition us back. Well, that went away in 08, 08, 09, 10, 11, 12. It started to get loosened up again. We got too many sales managers and salespeople and F&I people thinking that a credit score is F&I. A 720 is not automatically approved, and a 575 is not automatically secondary finance. Work, Amen. <laughs> work with your finance companies and understand the buying guidelines, understand the structure, and more importantly, understand the appetite that they have for vehicles. I'm working currently with a large national finance company. We're doing some F&I schools for them, uh, some custom one-off pieces for them. And it has a lot to do with teaching everybody what the what their appetite for deal structure and vehicles are. And as long as we pay attention, everybody's going to continue to roll. It's when people start getting greedy and, and running it up the flagpole and all of a sudden, man, that finance company, they're not buying anything. Well, that's not true. We just don't know their appetite this week. And like Becky said specifically, they, they go deep, they go shallow. There's an ebb and flow to it. And when one is running real shallow and they're not buying real deep, somebody else is buying deep. And, again, there's enough business to spread it around. Everybody got real used to what Santander was doing, and there's been a lot of funding delays, massive funding delays, and couldn't get a hold of the people. Well, we now know why. They were under some form of scrutiny, um, uh, evaluation, audits, or something going on, and if they haven't been backing up everything or, or checking everything, well, so be it. We know what's going to happen there. We know there's a lot of our finance companies will backstep it. It'll go into funding, and then they're asking for proof of income. One of the big pieces that I have recommended for years, uh, talked about it at NADA, every F&I school, and especially in our advanced F&I workshops, is even if we are not stepped for proof of income uh, or proof of residency or even references, that F&I go ahead and collect that information and have it on file. If a finance company doesn't request it, I'm not going to send it in. But in the event they request it, we already have it. And like uh, I think Matt or Larry brought up earlier, we need to do our due diligence at the dealership level to make sure that we protect ourselves and protect our finance companies so we can collect all that information. And if they ask for it, let's go ahead and send it in for them. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Tony. Got some uh, social media commentary going on. Kevin Campbell said, he said, one, he celebrates the mid-500s. He also said, deep subprime equals extra key with funding pack. Smiley faces and laughy faces. Um, keep going down, uh, Kim. We had uh, Murphy Langston said, it's all about your inventory. If you've got subprime inventory, you've got subprime buyers. 
Um, Christopher Ward, how do you suggest, this will be a question we'll pose to uh, Rebecca, how do you suggest keeping sales teams sharp on various subprime programs monthly? And he said um, more sales roundtables. What do you think about that, Rebecca? Rebecca, are you still with us? I think I understand your question. Yeah, I'll, 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 your question. He gave a bunch of I'll say it again. Yeah, I'll yeah. say it again. It's how do you suggest keeping sales teams sharp on various subprime programs monthly? Well, you know what? Here's the thing, and you couldn't make a more valid point. Thank you so much, Tony, and I appreciate your feedback. Um, here's the deal. It is critical to make sure that everyone's on the same page. When we talk about, you know, some prime, non-prime, you know, slow pay, uh, history customers, whatever the situation is, and making sure that we are getting everyone on the same page when we talk about um, – integrating sales and also F&I together and making sure that we have that streamlined process that we meet with customers who may have that slow pay history and making sure that we're doing a better job in how we educate our sales associates to understanding how to work with that customer and understanding some of the programs that we have available. And point in case that I'd like to point out has always been one of my pet peeves but we understand the industry, and we understand that, I don't know, 40, uh, 55, uh, 57% customers may have some sort of slow pay history of some sort, whether or not we're talking in millennial into that ratio or not. But understanding we do have slow pay history in this country, and just putting a customer on any vehicle, any vehicle will do, and don't worry about the consequences later on. We'll get it all hung. We'll get it all handled to me is foolish. It is a foolish practice. It is making sure that we are educating and we are working with our sales associates and having a better understanding of how to meet with that customer and understand, you know, some of the red flags that may come up in that conversation and how to best work with that customer and how to introduce that customer to the FNI person or even that sales manager and assuring that we're aligning that customer with the right vehicle based on the customer's uh, his uh, creditability and or ability, if you will, to um, uh, fit that payment within their budget and how important mm -hmm. that truly is. And, you know, there, there's nothing worse than putting the customer on the wrong car with a higher payment that they can't afford only to have a repossession later on. We have mm -hmm. to think, we have to think through, think through that process and be a lot smarter in that process and how we and how we yeah. accomplish that. And that is through effective training with our sales <clears throat> associates, making it a point to review, just like you would any other uh, sales marketing campaigns with the sales personnel. It's very important to make sure that they understand some of the credit criteria of what's happening in the industry today. Okay. Thank you. Hey, guys, well, I got, can I add on to that real quick? I got sure. a million-dollar comment. Dealers <laughs> and general managers, listen. She said a key she said a key word right there. If you have anyone that handles finance within your company, desking, finance manager, funding matter, anything down the line that uses the word handle it, you need to really, really dig into your your, your system. Because any and every tornado that I've ever seen in the finance world has used the word I'll handle it, I handled it, it'll be handled. And I promise you that every time they use that word, it was not done with the way you want your business run. 
That's a great point. If you think about even in your life, Matt, that's a great point. Uh, that you know, when you use that, typically it's to brush off someone, you know, and and basically not discuss it, and and you know, kind of just brush it to the side, like hey, it was handled. I mean, I think that if I think about, I think Goodfellas, the movie Goodfellas, might have been the first time I heard that. You know, yeah, I handled it. Yeah, I handled that. Hey, where's that? What, what happened to what happened to Johnny? What, Did you take yeah, care of that thing? Which thing? The first thing or the second thing? I took care of the thing. Yeah, I, I handled thing. it. You first know what I'm saying? Thing. Like, you know, I got a shovel and hit him over the head and put him in the trunk. You know what I mean? That's how you handle it. So, great point there, Matt. But going back to um, the question that was asked to Rebecca, too, though, because you're as a GM, and and um, I know Dave's got a question. We'll bring Larry back in as well. But as, a, as an owner and a general manager, you know, uh, Christopher asked, you know, how do you keep sales teams sharp? This is the guy who's in sales saying, how do I keep sharp on the various subprimes out there monthly? And then the second part of his question was, I mean, do I do more sales roundtables? I mean, you know, so this is a guy saying, how do I get in? And then, uh, well, then Kevin Campbell I mean, said, any, you know, what, well, that, what's your. Well, we asked, well, Kevin Campbell said, he said, uh, scroll back up. He actually said, the, your sales guys shouldn't have to worry about that at all because they'll cut corners. Where did they go? Well, the, okay, your sales guy should be concerned about, yeah, about subprime hey, programs. I handled it. I handled it. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, you just said that's that's F and I's job. Sales peeps learn too much; they start cutting corners and making approval decisions. Let the banks decide. <clears throat> I don't know, Matt. I mean, do you agree with that? I love Kevin to death, but I mean, I mean, I, I, the guy that's trying to figure it out. I mean, would you like somebody like that working for you, or you want the concept of like, hey, man, salespeople shouldn't be worried about that? I mean, maybe he's, maybe Kevin's right. What's your thoughts? I like the guy that tries to find the right way to solve the problem before it happens. Mm -hmm. I like the guy that sits down and wants to position the customer best that says, wow, if I put them on this special lender that has a special rate program, I might get them 8.9% instead of 25%. Or if I get their cousin to co-sign and the bank likes to deal better, they're positioned better. Because in the truth, we really do want our customer at a lower loan at a better term so that we can trade them all later. And th those people solve problems before it's a problem instead of having the person that tries to find a solution to the problem when it's too late. That's good. Right. Yeah, I think, uh, I think you know, one of the things is oftentimes in dealerships, salespeople are not as empowered. You know, they have someone that's telling them kind of, kind of uh, what to worry about and what not to worry about. But I, I agree with Matt. Um, let's go back to Tony real quick because, you know, Matt touched base on this earlier and we kind of talked about it a little bit. The fact that, you know, even if the subprime lender doesn't say, hey, got to have POI on this and, and your customer gets approved without the POI, it doesn't mean that um, that you're not responsible uh, like Matt talked about earlier. But I think that salespeople, especially salespeople, I don't think that they're aware of this. I think that uh, you know, if if there's an approval that comes over without POI, I think in most salespeople's mind, um, it, then that's a that's a green light. There's no. It doesn't matter if they put the right amount down or not. I'm talking about the customer, not necessarily the the salesperson. But um, and then the other thing I wanted to talk about was you know when when times like this start to you know when it starts to raise its ugly head and lenders start looking back at dealers, you know. Um, when times are like this, um, doesn't the eye, doesn't the focus really go on to uh, that finance manager or that finance director? Tony, talk about that and that liability aspect. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I agree. Uh, it, my opinion across the board is that ultimately is the business manager's responsibility to verify the accuracy of all the information that a customer gives the dealership. In most states, 
the moment that that contract is signed, the dealership is owning the contract, and then it then goes into for funding to the finance company. And up until the time it's funded, the finance, uh, the dealership is 100% responsible. There's only a handful of dealership or states that there is some protection for the dealership. So there's ways to be able to go through, and the business managers can easily uh, verify the income. And I'm not saying that we always need to get proof of income, but it's really easy that a business manager can look at the deal, and not the salesperson, not the sales manager, let F and I handle this, because they're, they're the ones who need to be doing this. And it's a simple question. Hey, I see here that you uh, you show a gross monthly income of $5,000 a month. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Is that income verifiable? And we can just look at the customer. And if we just look at the customer, and if they come back to you just instantaneously, oh, yeah, absolutely. Do you need proof of the income? You know what? I still might ask for it, but now I have a good comfort level. If we look at the customer and we say, is this income verifiable, and the customer's looking at us going, uh, well, uh, <laughs> is that a problem? <laughs> I might want to go ahead and ask for proof of income. Um, my my fiance Jennifer, who is ex F and I and a rock star business manager, she got into the mortgage industry, and if you look at the amount of verification that you need for a mortgage, and you've had 20 mortgages in the past, let me tell you, um, an anal probe would be so much more comfortable than the amount of information and documentation and long-term documentation. And again, we go back to 2008 and nine. all of a sudden the finance company's all tightened up and we need a lot more documentation. Well, they got a lot looser, but you know what? We still have to have that due diligence yeah. And let's protect ourselves and protect the finance company because that relationship between the dealership and the finance company, folks, frankly, that is sacred, and we never want to have that go away. And something else that you brought up, you know, how do the salespeople know? Like Becky specifically listed, we need to train our salespeople on identifying the type of customer that they have up front and ahead of time. I'm going to let you in and on some proprietary information here at the academy. We do a lot of F&I training. I'm an F&I trainer. I love sales training, done a lot of it. F&I is just a personal passion. So all of our sales training and even our service training, we got like this weird backdoor F&I side always to it because we always keep F&I in our back of our mind. But it's an easy qualifier that we can ask a customer, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Customer, early on, who's your current finance company? And if they go, well, it's, they're, with, uh, they're with Ally or, or with Wells Fargo, we can follow up. Hey, great, we use Wells Fargo, we use Ally, we use Bank of America here, too. Do you like working with them? Mm-hmm. And if a customer goes, oh, yeah, I love working with Wells Fargo, they're great. You know what? We're good. <clears throat> if they look at me and they say, oh, Wells Fargo, oh, no, I don't like them. Yeah. There's a reason they don't like the finance company. They keep calling. Yep early in the morning, and you know what? That's a red flag that just went up. You know what? Great. That sounds wonderful. But you know what? We transfer that information to the sales manager. Let the sales manager uh, or even F&I, especially if F&I is sitting on the desk or the director sitting on the desk, let's go out and go talk to them. And we might be able to actually get some of that information. And going back to what Becky brought up, we can put them onto the right car the first time. Let, so let, identifying that customer up front ahead of time is is critical. 
Hey, let me ask We're you. We're Go ahead. When I was going to break, I want to ask Larry something because we had something come in. I mean, Larry, someone said still getting it backwards. He said the dealer sells the car, the lender dictates the terms of the loan. I mean, Larry, uh, you know, weigh in on that, and and I'm going to get you in, involved on this dialogue a little bit, Larry, and kind of let you weigh in on it. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's one thing to remember too with the with the, with the lenders, and you know, having been at Wells Fargo again, you know, you get sort of both sides of the equation. So when the used car market's great for dealers. Um, you know, the, the lenders tend to have lower LTVs because the dealers are buying the cars for less. But when the dealers are buying the cars for less, it's because there's more supply. And so then when the banks do take the repossession, they tend to lose more as well. And then the, the inverted happens as well. So that's the one really tricky thing with the banks is they've got to sort of balance both sides of that equation. But, um, yeah, going back to that point, I, I, and I, 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 I think I got the question right, but, um, yeah, the upfront part of that is critical and, what I've seen and what I'm seeing in the trends now and, and, and even prior to, you know, leaving Wells Fargo and joining Equifax, you know, the, the, the really, the, the one, the person that doesn't pay is the one that can't afford it. It really does come down to that. It's very simple. And sometimes we try to make it more complicated than that. But, you know, you've got some people with good credit that things happen. Um, I was one of the things we talked about with Bloomberg yesterday. Sometimes things just happen, mm-hmm. you know, and, and when times when, when you charge off mm-hmm. 2%, 98% are still paying, you know, and, and so, it's a lot. It really does come down to, to the affordability factor of the car, not overshooting that payment. Talking to a couple of my friends at my former company, you know, one of the things they're seeing in trends now is thinner credit going back. You know, they, they took more of a, a chance in some of the credit where maybe there wasn't quite that established back, you know, credit history or the car loans paid, or and that's where you, you start to see that kind of going bad. And I think that's where we're seeing an increase in verification. And I'm hearing from both dealers and lenders, they want to talk that same language because. The last thing I ever wanted to do was go see one of my best dealers and say, hey, this, this loan is going bad because there was bad information. And that, that's, I think that's where we're really at right now with the lenders and, and dealers trying to talk that same concrete language and making sure that person's in the right car up front. That's good. It, yeah, and I want to go back to Matt real quick because, you know, every time I hear Matt speak, it seems like he has a vision of, you know, protecting his business lo- long term, you know, not not just looking at what's 10 feet in front of you, Dave, and, and, you know, maybe putting someone in a car that they can't afford or, or putting them in a term that's high when we might be able to, you know, work to get a lower term to kind of lessen that risk that that customer Matt might default. It, that's because Matt wants his boy Max running the dealership right day. Right? He wants it. He wants it to be bigger <laughs> and better, right, Matt? <laughs> uh, I'm I'm really sorry. For some reason, I'm getting overspeak, uh, so I'm having a hard time hearing you say that. No, he Dave was just com- um, Dave was just complimenting. He was just saying every time he hears you speak, and I, I interrupted him, but because I, I, I I wanted to say something about your son, but Dave's just said every time he hears you speak, you're getting. You just seems like you're thinking towards the future, not just ten feet in front of you. And I just made a comment. I said that's because you want to see your boy Max one day running the show, and you want it to be bigger and better. And Dave was I, I interrupted uh, Dave in his question, but yeah, it, it, it is true. And, and I think that dealers have to realize any good dealer out there is selling seventy percent of their cars every month to a repeat or referral customer. So the better you position subprime for that client, the, the better you'll be in the future as well. Yeah, I appreciate that, Matt. Go ahead, Tom. We guys, we got to start wrapping this up. Go this, ahead. this up. Um, so let's get this. Uh, we're going to let everybody have a couple minutes to kind of give your final thoughts on everything. There was something. Kim, go back up a little bit or down. Uh, no, it wasn't that one. No, 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 no. And um, yeah, we're, oh, that's oh, actually, oh, shout out, log on to our social media, our Facebook. 
Brad Wise, who is a general manager, said, I know someone looking for a good subprime manager in the Detroit suburbs. So log into our Facebook feed and you can instant message him. But uh, let's go ahead and start with uh, let's start with uh, Tony D. Give us your final thoughts, brother. Anything you want to leave us with, please. Thank you. Well, I appreciate it, Tommy, Dave, and Dave on being on ADL. Good seeing you again from uh, Digital Dealers. It's been a few weeks since I saw you last. Uh, working with your sales team, identifying the customer up front ahead of time, critical. We're finding we're doing a lot of in-dealership training, doing uh, dealership resets around the country. And one of the, the, the interesting points that we're seeing is that a lot of dealerships have gotten very good at doing the subprime deals, and they've lost the ability to work with the prime customer and come to find out they're chasing off the prime customers. So there's ways around it. It's, there's ways to be able to talk to the customer, uh, the primary and the secondary. We don't offend anybody. Deal structure, deal structure, deal structure. Find the appetite for the finance company. Structure the deal right. Payment to income. Talk to your finance companies. Get them to come in there and work with your business managers and the sales managers on what they like and what they don't like. And, again, it is up to the dealership, more importantly, the finance director or the business manager, to safeguard the dealership that 100% accurate information is given to the dealership and then turned into the finance company. You can find me at all these different places, 512-542-1669 is my left pocket. Follow us on Facebook. You can follow me, Tony D., on Facebook. We always put up original content. Love my buddies over there at ADL. Appreciate the opportunity. And always a pleasure, Matt, Larry, and always Becky. Good seeing you again. All right. Thank you very much, Tony. And um, we're going to get to Arnold's comments at the end here. Arnold's about to blow a gasket trying to say whatever he's saying. But we'll get him. But we're going to let Becky give her a couple of uh, last couple of minute uh, thoughts here. Uh, thank you very much there, Tony. And here's here's my thoughts on this whole thing. The bottom line is more training, uh, making sure that we do a better job with the with FNI integration. And one of the things that I uh, I failed to mention is that I also facilitate for NCM20 Group on the FNI and integration piece. And how important it really is to make sure that we're all on that same page and that we certainly have that seamless process put in place. And also as well, is FNI people have got to be trained on this deal structure and how to work with banks. And frankly, throwing FNI people into an FNI box and say have at it is just foolish today. We must do a better job in training our FNI people on how to deal structure, deal structure, deal structure, how to work with our banks, and the importance of developing a very strong relationship with our banks. And that, you know, instead of shotgunning deals uh, to, oh, whoever which bank we can, uh, we need to have a, a better a better way to go in, in, in developing that relationship and why that relationship benefits the dealership as a whole. So those are the things that I really feel like we need to, you know, just take a better look at making sure that we have uh, that in place. And, again, thank you. It's a pleasure uh, to be here on the, on, on the ADL show with you guys. Thank you Appreciate very much. Thank you so much, Rebecca. And let's go to, uh, let's go to uh, Larry. Larry, thank you so much for being with us. Um, Larry Papalardo, if I said, hopefully I said that right, VP at Equifax Automotive. Um, if you can give us your closing remarks, Larry. Yeah, I said perfectly, actually. You know, I, I think we've talked a lot about this, and I think the interaction and the partnership with the lenders and the dealers is, is really more important than ever. 
Um, you know, and I think the income and all the things we've laid out are, are critical, really more than anything else, to keep the customers in the right car and use the tools that are out there. There's, I think, a changing of the guard with with the income. And several people on here have said, "Hey, we get it, even if we don't need it." And you know, we've got products to do that. People can reach out to me on the side for that. But things like the work number, and, and we're investing in that because we see it as a critical function right now. If we can get dealers and lenders. And they can pull it and don't even have to worry about the, the, the pay stub. You know, we kind of see this, but we're working with some lenders to, um, to work together with dealers to have that in place so we can help with that. But, but that's really the critical thing. I think the people in the right car today is, is more important than ever. And, and I'm just from doing lending for 20 years, you know, if you get the person in the right car payment, they're probably going to pay it. And I, and I think most people want to pay it. Dealers and lenders both want to keep, you know, their, the common interest is, you know, you want the car finance, and the lenders want it to pay. That's how they make money. You don't make money taking cars back. So, yeah, I, I think it's a volatile environment right now, but I think, as we've said, it's up and down. It's been that way. You know, this too shall pass, so to speak. I don't I don't see it being a 2009 type of a thing again. So I, I think with good due diligence, uh, I, I think we work through this. And, and, I, and I think the really, really good opportunity um, – for some of the smaller lenders may be there as well, as we've kind of talked about. So I don't think it's a bad time in the industry. I think it's a time to be smart, send mm-hmm. do our due diligence, lenders and dealers to be smart, work together, and, and you know get people in the right cars, and that goes a long, long way for us. Thank you very much, uh, Larry. And uh, Matt Lasko will give you closing remarks. And you know, Matt, we weren't talking about this in 2009, so Larry does have a point. We're at least talking about it ahead of time. It kind of hit you in the, in, the, in, the, in the back of the head and, and got everybody by surprise. But at least we're talking about it ahead of time. So he may be on to something there. And I think commonly we're talking about it more than then, too. It sort of hit everybody. I think now everybody has the same goal, and I think that's critical for yeah. sure. Yeah. Matt Lasko, give us your closing remarks, Matt. Well, I, you know, as everyone said, thanks a lot for having us on the show. And um, for those of you listening, uh, I'm just a car guy. Uh, I try to give them that outside perspective. What I will tell you is, the people you have on the show that you're listening to that are these training companies and finance training teams, if you don't believe in your team or if you feel like you're leaving something on the table, then look them up and pick the one that fits you best and hire somebody. Because there's more money to be made and less money to be lost if you have proper preparation. And the, the financial spectrum of auto industry is not going to go away at any time. It is definitely going to be harder for a year or two and then easier for a year or two. But if you master it yourself, you'll be better in the long run. So uh, if you ever want to chat cars with Matt, you can go to uh, at carguy915 on Twitter. Uh, you can look me up at lascoford.com or shoot me an email. And uh, as always, I appreciate the time with uh, the ADL team. And I uh, wish you all the best this week selling and closing the month off. Hey, thank you, guys. And call Tony D. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> All right, well, that was a great panel. Ah, and, awesome um, panel. You know what? Hey, we got to go to a second panel, but we're going to give Arnold. Is Arnold still on the line? Okay, huh? is he? Arnold, are you on? Yes. All right, we're good. Hey, listen, here's the deal. Yes. We have got to go to a second panel because we it's our fault, Lou's fault, as you said. We only have about 30 seconds because we were behind 10 minutes. So I'm going to give you 30 seconds, Arnold, because you keep seeing. I see the text in front of me. Y'all have it freaking backward. This is fake news. So basically, I'm going to give you 30 <laughs> seconds to tell us what the heck you're talking about because I was so distracted, man, seeing your comments pop up. I couldn't understand. You already said all those. Go ahead, man. Give us, give us, give us 30 seconds of, 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 of what you're trying to tell us here. All right. Well, everyone wants to blame dealers. And, I, you know, I'm not saying that, that Tony D and Rebecca aren't right as far as, you know, due diligence and training. But ultimately, at the end of the day, dealers are given processes and technology to both uh, submit loan applications and get them approved 
and the lender dictates the 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 requirements of that approval, whether that's proof of income or whatever. And you know, I mean, ultimately, you know, Moody's and Wall Street are not holding dealers accountable. They're holding they're holding Santander accountable. Why? Because they only verified eight percent of their of their uh, of their loans. Whereas, like, if you if you look at a contract, you look at like uh, you know auto credit. And you know, they verified 64% of their loans. So whose responsibility is it? I'm not okay. saying that, you know, if you get this weird feeling that, you know, hey, someone's lying in the F&I box about their <clears throat> income, that right. you shouldn't, like, the red flag shouldn't go up. I'm just okay. saying, I'm saying that, you know, Santander was so deficient <clears throat> that, you know, they, they packaged all these loans into a billion, a billion with a B. A billion dollars of bonds. Arnold, Arnold, our thirty, our thirty seconds and, is way over. Our thirty seconds, our thirty seconds is way over. Okay, our thirty seconds is way over. Your great, point, your point taken. Absolutely but great at, point. At the end of the day, the dealers, Thank we you, we do have a responsibility. We are partnered with the lenders, and they will uh, hold us accountable as well, though. Um, so let's go to. Um, the deal. Nope. We, we lost. Our, all right. Arnold, thank you Sorry, very Arnold. much, thank man. You so We're going to let you listen time, on brother. Facebook. You guys heard Arnold weigh in on the comments like that. I mean, whatever you guys think back and forth. But uh, DC's right. You didn't lose me. You just cut me off. Stop it. Sorry. <laughs> we got to go. We got to roll. We got to go, Arnold. Stop it. You know, this, this is network television, man. All of a sudden, we're going to. Yep. the next show is going to start in just a minute. I'm just kidding. Oh, so we have a second panel coming on. Uh, next is the unplugged panel. We're going to go to commercial and be right back with Arnold Dealer Live. Hey guys, Dave Villa here, CEO of IPD in Tampa, Florida. If you are in sales, if you're a salesperson, stop what you're doing. I'm going to adjure you to watch this video. Hey, this June, August, and October, three days, we are hosting right here in IPD headquarters the first serial sales boot camp. This is straight up, absolutely intense training, rolling the sleeves up, baby. Dave, why are you getting all militant? Well, listen, this training is militant. You need to pull the pin on what's holding you back, salespeople, from getting to the level that you desire and dream of. The status quo will not cut it anymore. All right, we're back. We're going to jump right into our next panel. We got the unplugged panel. This is going to be a short panel here, but it's really, really cool. We've got two people on that I think you're going to get a kick out of. And it's changing. I mean, this is like we're driving like 85 miles an hour, right? In a, in a 911, you know, and then all of a sudden we just drop that bad boy in the first gear. Transmission, poof, pops onto the ground. You know what I'm saying? So hey, but we're going to jump into unplugged panel. We're going to we're going to roll into some uh, separate discussion altogether. We have got Bruce Bishop, GSM at Tesla of San Diego. Come on, Teslas are cool. Teslas are as cool as the other side of the pillow, man. Oh, they are, you, man. You, they you are. will not experience. I've got like 460 horsepower in my 7 Series, right? And then my wife's got uh, SRT. I mean, this thing will throw you. But this Tesla, my, uh, my dad and I drove last year, it will throw you. 
yeah. into the seat, and you don't, and you don't, and don't you, you don't you feel a little cheated though when you buy the SRT8 package and you hear that rumble yeah. and you get in the Tesla and it can outrun you? Well, no, the Tesla though, that? man, is like it's like it's smooth. It's like it's, it's like, like it right. throws you in the it's back. Like it's like a golf cart it's that's like, going faster than your V8. It's like I mean, an assassin coming up and stabbing you in the kidney with like a pin. You know what I mean? Like it kills you slowly. So Bruce Bishop, GSM of Tesla San Diego, and we have Charles Cannon, great friend of the show. New car sales director at BMW of West Houston. I think two gentlemen that would know a little bit about what we're talking about in this uh, short panel, but also important unplugged panel. DC, why don't you jump into this, man? Yeah, let's go to Bruce right off the bat with Tesla. And Bruce, man, first of all, Tesla's just killing it. You guys have a laundry list, a waiting list, if you will, for the for the new model that's coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, what, where is, and, you know, I just heard recently that... Uh, he's so, building one right now. Yeah, he's building one. I heard recently that uh, I heard recently we've got about ten more years of gas-powered cars. I don't know how how uh, progressive that that forecast was, but Bruce, tell us what's going on in the electric world. Where's Tesla headed? And uh, you know what what are your thoughts on how much longer before everyone's driving an electric car? Yeah, thank you guys. It's really exciting to be on the show. I appreciate your uh, your asking me. Um, it has been a really exciting time for the company. They have seen some massive expansion in a very short period of time. Um, the plan has always been to eventually produce a car that is a little more affordable, and that's exactly what the Model 3 is designed to do, um, be a little bit more attainable, and that will bring in a much larger market. You know, Tesla has plans to be producing 500,000 cars a year, uh, wow. at some point here within the next couple of years with the new construction of our Gigafactory uh, in Nevada. It's about 14 million square feet when you include all the multiple levels. So absolutely enormous expansion plans. And, uh, Gigafactory. you know, it's one of those things that, awesome. you, and I'll just kind of state the mission, the company's, the company's, you know, mission is to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. And um, a big part of that is obviously transportation. So, um, by producing a more affordable car that most people can kind of reach financially, um, that's that's a big part of the business model going forward. So, you know, well, terms, I, I can't really say exactly when the whole world will be driving electric. <laughs> I don't. I know it's a matter of when and not really if. Well, see, you um, hit it on the head though, Bruce. Because and Charles, I, I'll go to you too. Uh, and both of you guys, because if you notice one thing this, that you guys have in common, you're at a specialized Highline, you know. Uh, 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 dealership and charles you know obviously you got the bmw i3 but i mean the thing looks like a rocket you know it's, it glows in the dark and and it's not like um you know it's 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 you know what what are these i guess the key is dave it seems like the the vehicles that are making it right in in this electric world are like the ones that most people can't afford right yeah so so charles isn't that really the key i mean if we're going to go this direction we've got to do something to get you know uh, more, you know, uh, you know, affordable vehicles that, you know, regular folks can afford, you know, across, across the line. I mean, that's what it's really about and not just make it a, a cool toy. Cause I mean, the Teslas are cool. I mean, they're, they're freaking awesome. And, and so Charles, what do you say about that? I mean, do you see this, what are sales like, you know, with the I, I3 at your store? I mean, what, you know, are, are they easy vehicles to move? Why, why not? What's your thoughts? Charles, you with us? Charles. All right, we might have lost Charles. So, um, so 
Bruce, I mean, do you want to take a shot at that? I mean, you mentioned going into it. I'm I'm back. Okay, Charles, I'm not sure if you heard my question, but, I mean, what are the, the, you know, I I was mentioning, uh, you know, crossing that threshold from this Highline vehicle that someone would get, you know, as a toy, they can afford it, but crossing over, if the the unplug industry is going to ever make, right, this big, big push, it's got to be affordable, correct? And then the the vehicles that were, quote, affordable, you know, kind of didn't really do to, I mean, thinking like the Volt, things of that nature that kind of sputtered a little bit. What's your thoughts, uh, Charles, with um, with crossing that threshold into more, uh, you know, more of the population being able to afford? <laughs> David Connolly said well, it. Well, I think being, being, well, I can't speak to all manufacturers, but BMW is doing it on two fronts. One, also, they have a fully electric vehicle in the i3, and <laughs> they have a, the hybrid car in the i8, and their, their plan is to have a, either a fully electric or, or electric hybrid version of every model in their lineup within the next few years. Uh, B&W's all in because they know they see the future and they know that is the way to, to go. Um, they're, now what they're doing to make it affordable, obviously they're they're doing, you know, certain incentives and, and credits and stuff and to where it works out to where the payment is very similar to a, to a gas version of the same vehicle. And so we, we figure by doing that, it'll eliminate that one excuse for some customers and then by having a hybrid version of, of our of our models you could still they people don't have that range anxiety they can still drive the car like they would normally but they have a chance to plug it in at home or in public uh, stations uh, when they need to and it, it to me is just a, a step towards having a fully electric car okay. uh, but yeah we're you know as a manufacturer i can say bmw's all in on on uh, electrica- electrification of vehicles. What about that? What about the? I mean, what, let me ask you this, Bruce. What about uh, someone just made a comment on Facebook? This is America. We like to drive. So I mean, like, I mean, you have this. I mean, like Dave said. I mean, when I when you get in the you know the SRT, when you get into you know man an M an M an M BMW, Charles. I mean, come on. This. I mean, there's something about the the sound still, the feel, right? I mean, it's it's. It's. I mean, you you got to admit there's something there. So are the drivers just going away? I mean, Steve Stoning said, you know, he his opinion here: people won't be driving electric cars in mass without five dollar a gallon gas. He said that said, we'll eventually all be riding in electric cars via some version of an autonomous autonomous Uber. <laughs> so I mean, you know, I think that is this is this an example of maybe ra- not necessarily innovation, like hey, you know, like the internet came upon us but now that it's here all of this it's like this is just going to be a sliver it's always going to just be a sliver is that is that is that what you think Dave is this going to be a piece of the pie which which is extremely profitable well it is I think it's going to be growing I think when you look at Tesla and the the waiting list for this new three model which happens to be an exciting 30 something thousand dollar car on the cutting edge of technology and everything else and has a cool body style i mean let's face it most of the most of the cars that the average person could buy when it comes to electric um, weren't that desirable. I mean, you know, the Prius yeah. was the hottest we'll one. The Prius was the hottest one, and the average age of the Prius driver is exactly 108 years old. <laughs> and and I had one, so that's not, you know, I'm, I'm hopefully bringing it down a little bit. But well, the, Tesla, too. The Tesla's the, that, the, the, the most valuable um, uh, domestic car company now. Well, yes. They're, yeah, they're, but, but, but at the same time, I mean, Bruce, at the same time, you got to admit that, really. that Tesla now is more of a status symbol. I mean, it's like, you know, it's right. I mean, now without without releasing what they're what, the direction for, they're going huh? for the for the price or status of being electric. No, the, no I'm it's saying it's just a status. Well, let's get Bruce in. Bruce, a, I mean, it's a Highline car. Bruce, the yeah, must. What, what you're saying with the 14 million dollar facility in Nevada, there's obviously 
a push forward. They're, they're going somewhere. But, Bruce, you'd agree that if not for that, right, it, that's a must to take it to where it needs to go because up until this point, there's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a symbol of – I mean, you have to have money to have it at this point, correct, Bruce? Right. You know? Well, you know, it, it's one of those things. It, it's been an interesting sort of paradigm shift in the industry because – Historically speaking, if you owned a fully electric car, usually it was it was slow and small and sort of boring, and it didn't have the technology. It certainly certainly didn't have the range. And so, for the first time ever, Tesla has come along, and the the electric car is now cool and desired. It's fast, and it has technology like you would never believe. It has the longest range of any EV in the world. Um, and then, of course, like you like you guys mentioned earlier, they are so quick uh it's unbelievable and i can say that you know i'm a i'm a true car guy i left my job at mclaren mm-hmm. uh to come out here and work for tesla and so i'm i grew up around muscles and exotics and this is just something that's been a part of my life uh for as long as i can remember so to to switch over to you know a, a, the electric car which is an industry i didn't really know much about mm-hmm. and to have a car that it, it, it answers all of your everyday needs in terms of an automobile in general because it has the space and seating capacity and safety ratings and right. it has the performance that'll you know that'll outrun your 911 or your Ferrari. But it's all in one car. Yeah, um, yeah that's, and no I, I think that's cool. something you haven't really seen in the industry a lot. Hey, Charles, yeah. you know, yeah, Dave, and, and Char- I think also you know, expand on what he said. Is electric cars for everybody? No, but. You know, are are every car for everybody? Do are coupes for everybody? Or SUVs for everybody? Are station wagons for everybody? Are diesels for everybody? No, mm-hmm. they all have their niche. But I think that as electric cars come more and more "quote unquote" normal, you'll see more and more people with them. Um, is it going to replace a, a '60s muscle car? Absolutely not. But it's not meant to. Yeah. It's meant to be, uh, you know, just a more upscale vehicle generally speaking and and it's 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 a niche vehicle now but it's going to grow i think within the next 10 15 years you're going to see it's going to be more common than it is now and that's and, and that, you're seeing and that, is, that a lot i mean i can tell you that i'm i'm calling from california mm-hmm. um and i'm from florida but out here in california you have your average charging stations everywhere mm-hmm. um the electric car is this is all you know this is kind of the the ground floor in terms of the electric sure. car so the culture that is surrounding owning an ev is, is very commonplace here mm-hmm. um and so it's exciting to see pretty much everyone here is kind of familiar with with the cars and you know the, the lifestyle that comes along with with driving an electric vehicle but it, you know that is that is expanding um very, you got it. it's very like anything else. i know that in it's... tampa they just opened a new tesla store new supercharging stations are, are popping up they they have plans to double the number of supercharging stalls uh in the u.s alone by the end of this year so mm-hmm. um it's becoming more and more commonplace you know it's funny i agree it's, i mean there's, uh... there's a lot of charging Hey, I was going. Well, I was just okay. going to say. Well, no, I was just going to say. Um, you're going to you're going to run into just like anything else. I mean, I think you guys are right. Obviously, um, it's it's a piece of the pie that's going to be that's going to be divvied up. And uh, but someone said on comment here, like Toyota's been struggling to sell Prius for a few years. Again, these are, you're going to get this kickback and fight back. Obviously, we're just like anything else. But he said consumers aren't demanding hybrid or EVs and won't unless gas becomes much more expensive. And then in parentheses, Tesla is more about luxury than EV. But Again, that's that's what it seems like. That's what they're trying to solve. But I will say one thing regarding speed, guys. When Cribs did have his Prius, just to test a little theory out, he met me at my house one morning. I walked to work. He drove to work on in his Prius, and I had breakfast bought and ready for him when he got here. 
So I'm just saying, if that means anything, they were kind of, they were kind of slow. But, yeah. <laughs> right, Cripps? You remember that? Yeah, I remember that, Dave. I remember that. That's back when he had range anxiety. He had range anxiety. What do you think, Tommy? I think That's range awesome. anxiety is an hey, awesome thing. Hey, That's a thing. Um, I want to ask. I want to ask Bruce a quick question because I heard recently that Tesla is now looking at charging the customer for charging the car at these stations in the future. Is that going to be something that we have to be thinking about? So we do offer the option for free unlimited supercharging. Um, actually, as recently as a couple of days ago, through our newest referral program. Uh, we do allow for our customers to take advantage of free unlimited supercharging. Um, that is for Model S and Model X. That will not be something that's available for the Model 3. Um, it's part of, you know, part of what makes the car so much more affordable is, you know, the available features. And one of those features um, is the supercharging. That will not be a free service for the Model 3. However, <laughs> um, the cost to charge the car at those supercharging stations is a fraction of the cost of what it would take to fill a gasoline tank. So there really isn't any way you can look at it um, in terms of owning an electric vehicle where you're not saving money. Um, they are far more efficient and far more cost-effective than a gasoline power. And then, of course, you know, something that you probably don't talk a lot about on the show, but I, and, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Obviously, the environmental component to driving an EV car, that's why these cars are produced. They're not necessarily produced to uh, save you money. They're not necessarily to, you know, produced to go 0 to 60 in 2.3 seconds. Um, it does all these amazing things, but it's important that I sort of remind all my customers that there's a much bigger picture happening with Tesla, and that is to make the world a better place. Let's do this, guys. We um, we appreciate the commentary and, and discussion. Uh, we do have to wrap it up, though. We're running out of time. So, uh, Charles, why don't you give us your final thoughts and contact info uh, about the subject, please? Um, well, you know, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. Um, but, you know, the lesson I want everybody to be in part with is that electrification is coming, um, whether you want it to or not. And, all the manufacturers really is a response to the government mandated of increased MPGs. So that's why you're seeing turbocharged engines and, and different things on those lines. So manufacturers having to adjust the game. And, you know, companies like Tesla being out there and they, they've seen their success, manufacturers know if we don't jump on this, we're going to be left behind. So that's why you're seeing manufacturers like, I know Mercedes is doing something, uh, BMW. And, and so, you know, as we, as these vehicles come more and more popular, and we we can educate our customers about them and alleviate their concerns and fears by having a, either a hybrid or full electric vehicle is going to go nowhere else but up. Um, as far as me personally, if you have any questions, you can reach out to me on my website. It's charleslcannon.com, or, and uh, you have all my contact info and social media channels on there as well. Thank you very much, Charles. Thanks, Make sure Charles. you grab Charles uh, when you connect with him. Ask him to send you. Uh, buy a copy of his book that he wrote uh, for for sales for salespeople. It's really cool. It's a very short read, but very good one. All right, Bruce Bishop, man, thank you so much for for being with us. Uh, GSM at Tesla San Diego, and um, leave us leave us with you know our listeners with you know something that they can take away when it comes to you know uh, you know electric and where we're headed, and just maybe something you'd like to leave with our listeners as a, as parting words. Yeah, thank you guys for having me again. It's uh, it's a pretty cool, and like the gentleman mentioned, you know, it is it is the future. There, you know, it's not really a matter of if we all convert to electric. It is a matter of when, 
And it's really cool to, to see a company like Tesla, you know, spark that that intrigue um, and to see the other manufacturers, you know, starting to realize that the electric car is not going away. Um, it, it is the future. So, you know, Tesla can't do it on its own. So it's important that these other make, uh, automakers follow suit and, and come out with their own electric alternatives. Um, really, really exciting future for us. All right. Awesome. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you very much. You guys have a great weekend. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. All right, so that was uh, Charles Cannon and Bruce Bishop. You know, I'm going to I'm going to weigh in. Just we'll take a couple minutes. Let's just how about us weigh in on this subject. Um, we'll read some comments that are on there too, and then we'll close out in a couple minutes. I I got to be honest, and I and I and I I hope I'm not just being closed minded. Yep. I, I know where you're going. I well I, I I agree that it's here to stay. I don't agree <clears throat> it's taken over. I I just don't. I mean, and, and you know, and and it has nothing to do with bearing on business because of it took over i mean there's a need to sell if we started driving spaceships and so yeah. has nothing to do with that i just i think it comes i was thinking about this when they were talking my night uh, my 19 year he's 21 year old brother um you know my father had been remarried and, and has some younger younger have some younger siblings but my 21 year old brother and of course my my son who's almost 22 um you know i think it's how you're 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 raised because my dad's a car guy you know, and, and my my brother that lives, you know, with my dad, he um, he loves cars, and yeah. he's not, and you know, he's he's not going after you know uh, an electric car and things of that nature. He's going after the same type of you know cars, and I think that I think it has to do with maybe where you live. You know, California is completely different yeah. than a huge part of of, of a, you know of America. It doesn't represent the America. We saw that in the election and different things like that. I mean, there is a difference in this country. And then, secondly, I think it's maybe you know what you're accustomed to growing up. I mean, what are you yeah. exposed to? And then something that Steve Sonning said that was pretty cool. You know, go to Walmart. <laughs> I love this. He said, for those of you, I mean, this is the truth because somebody had mentioned earlier, you know, that people love their cars. But for those who think, you know, we have a love affair with our cars, go to Walmart. Look at what's parked there. There's no way that 95% of America loves their car. Yeah. You know, so, I mean. Well, here's the thing. And $37,000, by the way, is not cheap. Right. That's not no, comparable not. Not. to mo- what I'm talking about. Well, most, most millennials aren't right. buying a $37,000. Hey, I, I saw a right. stat on millennials. 70% of millennials couldn't put down $1,000 for a mortgage. So. Yeah, yeah, so that's not an affordable. Well, I think the honestly, tiny... the eighty. I saw something yesterday on on the news where a large percent of Americans, yeah. period, yeah. Uh, from like forty down, can't couldn't find four hundred bucks, which is which is a, a a couple of tires. If they had to come up with four hundred dollars cash, they'd have a hard time doing it. So thirty seven thousand dollars is not a cheap car for to compare to. It, it could be abroad across America. That's still a long way away. Yeah, and when you is. get the – and the Volt wasn't cheap, but, I mean, something like that. So, what was like 45 grand, Don't wasn't you it? think that – And it ran out of, it it, ran oh, out of yeah, charge. Oh, yeah, it was crazy. They, they had range anxiety it, if you drove that. Yeah. Well, that t- each day that technology gets a little more affordable too, I believe. But here's the thing. Um, you know, it's, don't you think that the timing of the technology is kind of more receptive with the timing of America's – falling out of love affair with cars now we're we're addressing a car audience so uh, this would be not be a fair comparison because our audience are car lovers for the most part but like like uh to steve stonning's point with the with the walmart thing i don't think that in general the general population really has that 
history love affair with cars. Like we grew up worshiping cars. I mean, I, I was 12. I couldn't wait to get behind the wheel of a Trans Am. You know what I mean? Because and it was, it's, a, because it's, it was it's not that mentality. Because, now. because it, I mean, not, not to, I'm serious. This isn't an old joke. It really, really isn't. But I mean, we were closer the to the invention the of cars. I mean, it was it's, it's, really Dave. <laughs> no, man. I mean, in other words, we were closer to it. It was still an, it's it, just it, after I mean, the horse time. Okay. My dad <laughs> even was and your dad was, was even more than that because well, they were bigger deals. I, it was I had a bigger no deal. So I mean, if you know what, so but electric is not what changes that because it's still a car. I think that what changes that is when we start to fly, when we start to get land speeders, and you're gonna be like, "Oh, Jack, man, I'm gonna get a freaking land speeder." You know what I'm saying? And that's I still gonna... want to smell that freon Heck pouring yeah. out of my radiator as I'm trying to coast off of the interstate. No, just kidding. Okay, never mind. Hey, you guys are weighing in. We got to wrap up, but you guys are weighing in on this. And you know what? Hey, here's the deal. There's a big pie for everybody, man. There's enough for everybody. But you know, um, it's it's different. I will say this. It's 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 different than uh, any when you it's, it's innovation is is not a different kind of car. I don't think it is form of innovation, but that's not the innovation that goes. <gasps> innovation is a different mode of transportation. Yeah, a yeah. different complete mode. When you start to you know freaking be like teleport, you know what I mean? Right. Steve like, Stoney apparently crap, was teleporting. Well, Steve you know, Stoney apparently was paid to say autonomous today. When you be an Uber by drone, it's still a car. But yeah, yeah. you're right. You know, it's kind of cool. I mean, but you know, and what? I'll tell you, it's just a limousine without a person. Hey, there ain't no, I mean, they, it, it ain't know. happening. They ain't autonomous thing with no drivers. That ain't happening. Not America, baby. Look, oh, yeah, it, it doesn't matter. That's oh a limo. no, it ain't. What, you know what? How cool? Why is that cool? It's just a limo. There will be without a driver. Mark my words. It's still being driven. I like to drive. Mark my words. There will be a day when our kids or grandkids look back. I want to teleport. And, and Jesus, look back be, it's and go, be Jesus and, come back for that, buddy. I want to teleport. I want to, I, want to, I want to go like this. Hey, listen. I want to go like this. You know I'm hungry right now for cheese biscuits happens. or red lobster. Boom. They're going to look back. Please. They're going to look back and they're going to say, you mean that people could actually get in a car behind the wheel and just do it themselves and then and you play that rascal and kill each other? Then you play that rascal flat song, yeah. Fast Cars and Freedom, baby. And they still got on the road. Fast Cars and Freedom. he was dying? I, right. I see a dust Gosh. trail following okay. an old red All right, guys, have a wonderful week. We'll see you next week. We got the bubble and trade up coming up next week. Sorry for going over. See you. God bless y'all. Peace.